CNN commentator gets the Bible very wrong. Who would have guessed? I think we can learn something from the passing of the Queen. We're going to start, though, with submissions from you over the last few weeks. The listener on this week's Corey Truax Show. Ultimately, there really wouldn't be a show without you there. I guess I could very sadly talk into a microphone with regularity and put it on the internet and no one listen, Uh, but I think I'd get tired of that fairly quickly, and I am sort of in debt to some of you. You have sent me things, and I often request that, and I've not gotten to it on the show, so I'm going to spend our first segment responding to many of you on five or six different topics, so it'll be rapid fire and lots of thoughts from me. Welcome to the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. My understanding is that I was supposed to be really excited because uh, football season has begun. Uh, my uh, Dallas Cowboys lost to a um, good, good friend, J- uh, Jessica Wooten's Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and also another good friend, Adam Chastain's Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, and uh, basically the entire season was ruined in one game. Starting quarterback gets injured. So you know what that means? It means I just get to spend more time on important stuff. That's that's good. The Lord is doing some sanctifying work. Uh, so I'm coming to the microphone with that in the back of my mind and trying to focus on the more important things. So let's just do it. You um. Oh, wait, I didn't tell you some things. I didn't tell you I'm the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church is awesome. It's my favorite place in the whole world to be. And you can join us any given Sunday morning at 1030. We're there in Greenville. We're easy to find and would love to meet you there. Here we go. I want to give you all the time I can with listener submissions. Let's start with Linda. Linda said that she had been listening to me for many years, back when I just filled in for Dr. Beam, so before I had my own podcast and show on his radio talk. And she said she was listening to one of my recent sermons, by the way. If you are a radio listener, I put out on my podcast feed sermons when I happened to preach at Beachwood, or this was actually a sermon I recently preached at another church up in Western North Carolina. And she commented that, I before I made a point that was kind of harsh, I said, I do not want this to be harsh. I do not want this to, to, to hit too hard. And it's a very long email from, from her, and thank you very much for it. Um, but but uh, got curious and said, hey, you used to be really harsh. Like That's what marked you, and you've gotten soft. You know, I even recently, I in the last couple months, I um, my big brother, also our lead pastor, mentioned that when he tries to explain my show in the past to people, he would say, he's, you know, he's somewhat like James White. And if you don't know James White, he's a, gosh, he's brilliant, so brilliant. So to even being uh, con- compared to him in any way is flattering. But I think what Doug, my brother, meant was, uh, we're very sure we're right. And we say things like we know we're right and that there's probably nothing else to think about. We're very very self-assured. And I remember hearing that and going, oh no, I hope it don't sound that way. Because when I hear James White, I'm often turned off by his style. Not all the time, but sometimes. And I, I hope I have mellowed out. So to the to the listener, um, I, I, can, I can promise you this. I, do, I have in my older age, as I have grown older, I do not like the battle anymore. I actually get my Facebook memories almost daily, and there was some time in my early 20s and mid-20s where I'm just fighting on the internet with people. I don't like that version of myself. I'm snarky. I'm sarcastic. I'm mean. 
And I found that brought a lot of people my direction when the object of my meanness and snarkiness and sarcasm was Barack Obama. When he was on the other end of it, people loved me. My listenership was almost three times as big as it is now. Back then, when I when I was that way, there's uh, that's that's the culture we're in. And it's just as I've gotten older, I found out I don't like fighting. The there's an old phrase I used to say, copied it from somebody I don't remember, and it was I didn't start the fight, but I'll be happy to finish it. And that was my attitude. And now my attitude is I didn't start a fight. I don't want to fight. Can we not fight? Let's just talk. And, and certainly there is the the concept that is very real and true. Uh, it's covered in what's that first night? It's one of the King Arthur movies uh, that there's a peace worth having, but it's a peace on the other side of war. And sometimes you got to go to war. I'm just telling you the things I'm willing to go to war over. They're a lot smaller now. That list is smaller. So I promise you this, you got a good soldier in me when it's time to fight for the fidelity of Scripture. In my church, in my denomination, I'm going to fight for the Scripture above all things, about Christ and Him crucified and the core doctrines. I'm going to fight with a little less fervor about things that I know we're right about, but you could still be wrong about and be a believer, like you're, you got st- stuff in your church that women are doing. You've you got stuff happening in your church service that, by the regulative principle of worship that I follow, I don't think you're supposed to be doing that. I, I will have a calm conversation about it, but I'm not fighting about it anymore. And then, in the, and even in the political world, I'm just. I, I think we are such darkened minds. The, the Judeo-Christian ethic is so far from us that I don't think I'm going to argue anyone into. A, understanding free markets. I I mean, I, I see studies that show I got most Americans that can't name all 50 states. They don't even know we have 50 states. And you think I'm, and I'm starting to think, am I, am I going to convince them about free trade? And how socialized medicine is actually the, the worst idea? I'm not going to convince them of anything. And so I'm not going to cast my pearls before swine because my pearls are daggum good. I have honed my argumentation really well over these almost 40 years on this earth, and I really only want to use it with those who are honest and really want to talk about it. So she's basically saying, you used to be harsh, you used to be harder, and you're not, you got too soft. That's the new me. I hope you'll stick around. I know I'm so harsh sometimes, it's just, I don't want to be. I want to be less and less of that over time. Uh, Let's do this one. I am not sure in this context if, you're, if you want your name used, so I'm just going to say a pastor. A pastor friend who I consider to be a good friend. We don't see each other a lot, but good dude. Um, says he finally listened to my Mark 13 sermon. That's, again, out on this podcast feed. My sermons are there. And Mark 13 is where Jesus is talking about what people think. A lot of people think he's talking about the end of everything, and people like me. Don't think that. We think he's talking about the end of Jerusalem, uh, which happens in A.D. 70. We think Jesus is talking about the things with rumors of war, and there will be poverty, and there will be earthquakes and all that stuff. That's not about the end of time. It was about a very specific thing that happened in time. And it was really the end of an era, the end of an age, the way that God related to man uh, was ending, and a new way for God to relate to man was being uh, inaugurated. 
So uh, here's from the, the email. Uh, excellent pastor says, I thought it was handled very well uh, and presented very thoughtfully and ended up being uh, a blessing for me. This pastor also says, you know, he doesn't reach the same conclusions. Um, he tends toward a, a premillennial view. And I, he really appreciated the uh, the point that I made a point that some people that have a premillennial view that there's a there is a tribulation coming and a rapture. So there's a rapture of Christians leaving can lead to an escapist idea that we're just we finally get to escape here instead of engaging. Um, so in closing, he just he says he's curious to what eschatological view that means your view of end times, the end of all things. Uh, which view is most agreeable to me and how I interpret scripture. Um, I appreciate how gracious this question is, sir, because this is a closely held doctrine for a lot of people. Um, I've landed where, and it's not original to me, I need to, I need to credit our, our lead pastor, uh, our pastor who preaches the most, whatever <laughs> title we prefer. Um, preteristic modified idealism is what it's called. So preteristic people like me we 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 suspect most not all most of the prophecy given in the bible about end times has already happened it's happened in other events sometimes already recorded in the bible or that it maps on like mark 13 i think like a lot of the book of revelation maps on to things we can identify in history and show that prophecy right there by John in Revelation, it maps on to this event that happened in Jerusalem in year 71. Like we, we think we can call it that the prophecy that's still to come is Jesus does come again and sets up a kingdom here. Uh, so preteristic meaning I, I think most of the, prophet, the prophecy of the Bible is faithful and true and it's already proven itself out in history and I'm so encouraged by that. And the other word that matters there is, is modified idealist. There are people that read uh, into the into the book of Revelation, into a lot of end times, that it's all symbols. Everything is symbolic. I, I think we can get some one-to-one matches on some things, but uh, largely, yes. Like the, the same way that I don't think there's, a, there's a, a lamb on the throne. I think it's Jesus. I think he's the lamb. I don't think at the end of in Revelation 22 where it says, and there will be no more sea, I don't think people who love the beach should be very disappointed about the new heavens and the new earth. I think there's idealism there that we're understanding that the symbol for chaos, where all the monsters come from, you get this in Daniel, monsters in prophecy come out of the sea. Unspeakable beasts come out of the sea. It was out of the chaotic waters in Genesis that all good things came came about. Uh, well, but Jesus, excuse me, God, the Father, had to calm the chaotic waters. And so uh, we, we just look at a lot of prophecy and say, I don't need a one-to-one. So I don't need to go through a situation where I say, all right, I see locusts and grasshoppers. What that might what might that look like in the modern day? And go, well, there's probably helicopters, and John didn't know what to call them. Or there's going to be this many, uh, the moon turning red. And so I need to actually look for the moon turning red besides that just being a symbol of cosmic deconstruction and cosmic decreation that the sun and the moon and the stars don't actually fall from the sky because we know that it's not true we're still in orbit but some things might actually happen in the sky that are fantastical but more important than those symbols in the sky is the idea of the world falling apart and, and decreation so um that's i think that's all i would say i'm preteristic in that i think most of the prophecies happen i'm idealistic that i think a lot of the the imagery to be consistent, I think 
the, the, the imagery needs to be seen as analogies for other things and not literal things in a lot of prophecy. Um, and then uh, I, I know people forgot when I say, say this sentence in this order. I, I don't think there's a rapture. I think there's a second coming of the Lord. Jesus comes again, uh, and he's coming to set up a kingdom. There, there isn't us getting out, in my view, while a bunch of bad stuff happens, and then we come back. I think he's just coming back and uh, to, to set up his kingdom on this planet. Um, some of, I mean this, some of the most dear and precious people in my life, the, the people that I would not be who I am without them, think I'm crazy for thinking all that. They don't think I'm correct. They think opposite. So hear me say, this is one of those not to break fellowship over uh, if you don't see it the same way on the eschatology. But thank you to that pastor that I think probably wants to remain nameless on that email. And so I will do that. Thanks for uh, for spending some time writing in. All right, what was my next one? I pulled them all up on tabs. Um, Tiffany wrote in to say, on the uh, the show I did about the, d- the depression study, it showed that there actually isn't a a verified chemical imbalance. We actually don't know where depression comes from. She mentions that there is, there's even some work now happening in the neuro- neurology world, measuring different parts of the brain and synapses. And I actually don't know what a lot of these words mean, Tiffany. I'm, honestly, you're, you know some things I don't know when it comes to, uh, I guess, anatomy is the probably word for that. But she makes a great, great point at the end of this email. I mean, the whole thing is uh, appreciated, and thank you for it. I mean that there's our that there are things called telomeres, and which is the end of a chromosome. Like it could be shaped differently, could be longer. Like they're looking at other reasons why someone might be given to melancholy, given to depression naturally. She writes at the end. It makes you wonder why an average American can get meds for depression and anxiety at a fairly inexpensive rate. But therapy is often limited in coverage by insurance companies, and diagnostic tools are even more limited. Yeah, it does make you wonder, doesn't it? So this is where I think my worldview is really consistent. I love free market capitalism. In a large part, I, I love it because of how good it is for people. I've, I've said it recently before on this show or Dr. Beams. Capitalism was awesome because we, we found a way to fix selfishness and greed. So if we we created a system where if someone says, I want to get ridiculously wealthy, what do I do? We say back to them, solve a major problem. If you'll solve a major problem, you'll make a lot of money. And so we we did that in medicine as well. But then we can't... My my worldview is also, human nature is broken. Now, we found a way to harness it, but human nature is therefore broken. And if someone's making a bunch of money off of their treatment plan, there's no curiosity on finding out if you're wrong. I'm making a lot of money off these drugs. I got a lot of prescriptions going out. We're manufacturing these pills. Let's get these bills, these pills in people's mouths. Come on now. Someone wants to come along and say maybe these pills aren't the solution. Maybe actual talk therapy is a, is a bigger solution. Or maybe there's going to be a different treatment that starts taking these pills out of people's mouths. Yeah, the financial, the financial incentives there are, are way off. That's not conspiracy mongering. That's just saying, yeah, incentives has incentives have consequences, and so a major industry, a billion dollar industry, has no interest in finding out if the solution to the problem they're selling isn't the solution. They only want to push the solution further. So I was talking with uh, Nikki, my fiance here recently. We both agreed 
it's just so weird that we advertise medicines in America. What's supposed to happen is patients are supposed to go to doctors and say, I am sick. These are my symptoms. And then a doctor says, oh, well, here's some solutions you may not know about because I know about them because I'm the doctor. Instead, we get on TV and say, hey, do you have this sickness? Let's advertise for this sickness. Let's convince you you have your sickness. And then you go to your doctor and say, I think I have the sickness. And uh, so you end up with a lot, of more, a lot more drugs. It's weird that we advertise diseases that way. All right, thank you, Tiffany, for that one. Next, my, uh, Shane says, I have an odd one for you. Yes, yes, you do, my friend. Here's the question. Do you think there is room inside the Christian worldview for the idea of intelligent extraterrestrial life? Of one, I don't think there is extraterrestrial life out there in the universe anywhere, but does it fit inside the Christian worldview? I would argue yes, for this reason. We have the Bible above all things. We find all truth there, and so our Bibles tell us this. God made all creatures, and there's one that's made in the image of God in whom God breathed the breath of life. That's not that's a unique thing. So that, that's not shared by all things. The, the breath of God is animating for all of life, but the image of God is unique on humanity. So if there is a, some intelligent life out there somewhere, it is still below humans, just like all the animals are. And for that matter, if it was super intelligent, of that life, it would still be below humans because God has revealed everything we need for life and godliness in the scriptures. And so if there happened to be anything else, it still wouldn't be made in the image of God. So could it exist? I don't think the Bible precludes it necessarily. Um, I don't think it's, I don't actually think it's worth a ton of time imagining it, even though I love Star Trek. It's better than Star Wars. Uh, that's that's a hot take for me today. Star Trek better than Star Wars. Um, but so no, I don't think that's, a, I don't think that's a, it's a possibility in the Bible, but I, I would be very skeptical of it. I actually had one more from a listener I wanted to get to, but um, I'm going to have to wait on that one because I am like five minutes over on this segment. i got to end it. So when we come back, I have a couple thoughts on the, the passing of the Queen. i got some audio from a CNN commentator I want to share with you. We'll do that and more when you return for the rest of the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. I just realized the one listener submission that I didn't get to that I wanted to get to goes along with some audio I wanted to play for you this week. So we will start there in just a moment on the Corey Truax Show, wherever you find podcasts and right here on his radio talk. As always, you can find me, your host, at Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. If you look for my odd name, Corey Truax, you will find me there. You can also email the show like these listeners did at Corey Truax Show at gmail.com, Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. The listener's name was Kip. And the idea was simply this. Uh, He has gotten to the spot where he thinks Republicans should run the states, but the Democrats should run the federal governments because this gentleman seems to think that you've got to have a lot of social services and Republicans are crazy for not having a lot of social services. So you've got to have Democrats there, but otherwise Democrats are insane and crazy. And so Republicans should run states so you have good crime policy and you have decent economic policy and the the states can't compete with each other. Um, yeah, I was, so a couple things. One, I've demonstrated on previous episodes, we don't need to return to it, that the party on the left in the United States of America has gone off the deep end. It's radically different from when I was ch- a child, and uh, everything... Oh, that's right, it's incorrect. Not everything that can be done to keep people like that from decision-making power should be done. All things lawful and ethical and moral 
should be done. But uh, no, so I, I disagree on the second part, in part, again, because no, we don't need um, a whole bunch of social programs at the level that we do. I th- think I've demonstrated in a previous episode as well. I think there's room in the Christian worldview for, possibly, some, some room in the Christian worldview for the, the idea of the deserving poor. So a government doing something for orphans and widows, like the truly deserving poor, but very specifically not, and maybe maybe the indigent, those that genuinely can't care for themselves, and for whatever reason a family is failing to do their duty, that there would be some kind of communal way. That just I know this, it would not be what it is. It would not be whatever gigantic part of the country is getting some kind of benefit from the government. So I, I would argue that first. Um, but second... It's funny how much this email, which is admittedly kind of old, I mean, I've, I've been sitting on some of these for too long, how much that goes along with a guy who called in to C-SPAN. Now, you might go, is that still real? Is there still C-SPAN? When was the last time anyone watched C-SPAN? Good point. No one does. But they apparently have call-in shows. And a gentleman called in to make a very surprising point. It, may, it got semi-viral, especially amongst conservative groups, out there on the internet, who makes a similar point here in some ways uh, that the listener did. So I want to play that for you, and then I want to respond. As a New Yorker, um, for the most part, um, pertaining to law and order and issues of the country um, nationally, I believe the Republicans are better. Why? (laughs) As a New Yorker that lived in New York from uh, Mayor Koch, through uh, Mayor Bloomberg, Democrats, and particularly these days, in all honesty, as a black man telling the truth, Democratic mayors, that's black, whether they male or female, Democratic um, police commissioners, that's black, male or female, Democratic cities, they're run into the ground. Uh, The black mayors, the black police commissioners, be they male or female, they don't really put the hammer down on crime. They're real soft on crime, as opposed to the Republicans, who, of course, are hard on crime, and they were way more supportive of the police, as opposed to the Democrats, more supportive of the victims of police brutality. So, in my opinion, nationally, city by city, crime-wise, you might want uh, Republicans as your mayors, as your police commissioners, whether they're white or black, whether they He's getting a little long-winded there, but you, you hear him even make that hedge. For your mayors, for your state and local governance, things pertaining to the, to the right, things pertaining to the conservatives, he says Republicans, are better for you, whether, whether or not that is going to happen federally. And it's just funny to me that I had that email, because that hasn't long been a American distinctive. It, it was for about 200 years, but... As we continue to, through the 14th Amendment and the Commerce Clause, apply everything to the states to, to almost make them irrelevant, you, you started having a country not thinking about their state, their governor. Everything just became president, Congress, and Senate. That's all we got. And for a lot of folks that are so uninformed, it's just the presidency. They assume whoever's president, that means everything. And in some ways we did accumulate power to the executive branch, of course, a a very dangerous and dumb thing to do. But I tell you this, if we have a resurgence of Americans who understand the significance of the different levels of government, 
One, we will have a much healthier country who doesn't act like every election is life and death. Heck, I had I saw that again. We got an election coming up in two months, and it's mostly folks on the left saying it could be the end of democracy. All right, calm down. Not every election has to be life and death. And if people can be, uh, let's go with flexible. Mentally and emotionally flexible like this guy is. I mean, he grew up in New York. I mean, the idea of Republicans could be better at something. It's not something that's going to come natural to him. If people have that kind of flexibility between the two, it could create some very interesting cross-sections. I, you know, I, As we're seeing, I've covered on the show as well. There's this interesting clawing away of some Hispanics and black voters voting for candidates to the right of center. As the, um, uh, that's the wrong word, the consolidation, that's the right word. The consolidation of white, highly educated people are gathering to the left. There's a, a cadre of minority voters that are coming to the right. And you wonder, I mean, and, and it really is because of those brass tax issues. It's just because my, my town is unsafe. And you people are making it unsafe by not enforcing crime. I mean, what happened in Memphis a couple weeks ago? Two insane crimes. One of the of the teacher who was has kidnapped and killed, and then the the other a guy live streaming his shooting of people on I think Facebook Live it might have been or Twitch. Both of those people had been in jail for violent crimes, not just property crimes. And should have been in jail still. It was a soft-on-crime situation that put them out into the world where they did violent things. I don't know if you saw it. In this, If you're faint of heart or weak-stomached, maybe skip the next 20 seconds or so, but if you didn't hear the story of the woman in California, a guy with whom she was involved who had criminal history, there was a restraining order against him, he beheaded her in the United States of America, beheaded her in the street. Yeah, you're going to look around and go, because someone's got to get control of the crime. Um, there, there are medieval beheadings. Like, it's the French Revolution outside my house. There is live streaming on the internet right now, just random acts of murder. Someone's got to get control of it. So... If you start seeing this cross-section, some very interesting things could happen in outcomes because I, I got to expect a lot of those that say, yeah, you can't have two million people crossing your border. You got you to shut down the drugs that are coming across the border. You, gotta, you have to punish crime. Um, this, those same people probably are going to be pro-gay marriage or not as conservative as abortion on me and maybe have some different thoughts on guns than I do. Like they're, they're not necessarily going to be conservative on everything, but right now, if their focus are, is those things, you're going to get interesting outcomes politically. And so uh, that's my last listener submission. It goes right along with that um, that, that call uh, to C-SPAN. I, I, I'm trying to find a really clever way to transition into this, but I, I got nothing. How, how about this one? You know what might be broadcast on C-SPAN? The... the an inauguration of a new king in England because they cover government stuff. Anyway, if you didn't hear, I'm sure you did, the Queen of England passed at the age of 96. Now we have a king of England. And I saw a lot of reaction. And I would typically ignore it. 
because I'm a typical American. I'm a, I'm a Burkean conservative, Edmund Burke, uh, uh, where the royals, the patriarchs, excuse me, not the, not the patriarchs, the monarchs, I don't, I am so against those people. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't care. I don't care what happens with their family. But I started to find myself with strange bedfellows. When there was, on the internet, these reactions. One, people that were basically saying, I don't care. Why do we care about these people? Two, I can show you some that are just horrific about talking about how the England is this monarchical and colonizing system that destroyed people of color. And I, there's actually one professor from Carnegie Mellon who tweeted, may her death be excruciating. That's what she tweeted about the queen. So I just found myself people that cared a lot, cared about this, and was expressing care about it. They seem to be the people I'm more aligned with, and I wondered, why am I outside of alignment? I think I, I, think I solved something. There is something that, about the royal family, and about the queen in particular, that just, that just passed. She's a response to one of the spirits of the age one of the spirits of the age that I have mentioned to you many times before. The traditional age of, of what's still true in Africa and Asia, what's still true in a lot of Latin America, and what was true of the honor-shame cultures in the Western world until a little bit less than 100 years ago, what was true is that you determined your value and or worth based on how well you performed your duties to others. So your responsibilities is what brought you self-actualization. Were you a son that brought pride and honor on your family? Were you a daughter that behaved in a way that brought pride and honor on your family? Were you a good husband to your wife and a good father to your children, a good wife to your husband and a good mom? Did you honor your parents as they aged and they did not age in squalor or in poverty? Were you a good neighbor that helped your the, the, helped those around you when they needed? Were you a good patriot, a lover of your a lover of your country and an upholder of its traditions and its practices? That's how we knew if you were doing the right thing. I mean, we used to even, down to, the, down to school spirit, we have a school spirit award. Who, who loves this place the most? In the last hundred years, what we said is that's not true. None of that is true. Duties are shackles. You are shackled to the expectations of your parents. Throw off their expectations. And how about some free love, sex, drugs, and rock and roll of the, of the 60s and 70s? Throw off any kind of duty or responsibility you would have to your countrymen or those around you to just be a productive adult. You can do nothing, just exist. You can break your your responsibility to be a decent man or woman. You can break gender itself and make up your own. We swim in the waters of you being the center of the universe. You get to have your very own truth and you get to demand that we all comport ourselves to it. That is the world in which we live. And so it was almost, the queen was almost a repudiation of that age the entire time that age happened. 
I noticed in a lot of the biographies, uh, or the, uh, let's go with obituaries that were being written and the video obituaries about her, what marked a lot of her speeches was her making pledges of duty, her duty to her people, to sacrifice, to work, to do what she needed to for her people as a monarch. Now, I am, I am, sh- I am showing as the monarch my happiness, my romantic interests, my, we- my wealth even. These are not my, my number one lo- loyalties. My loyalty is to you, the people, for no other reason than it's just my duty. Even if I don't like you people, my duty is to be good to you, to rule well. No, I'm just gonna, I'm not a fan of monarchy, but consider what that says. Like in that family, what make, what was shameful is when you don't fulfill your duty, when you abdicate and choose a woman over the throne, when you leave the proper uh, the, the, the the appearances, the way the 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 ceremonies and symbols. And you go off and do your own thing. That's when you became shameful. You're shameful to your family for not fulfilling your duties. So, I think we should honor that and point it out. Why are we honoring her? Primary reason. She had every opportunity she wanted to give up her duties and do whatever made her happy. And she chose instead to fulfill her duties... And we're celebrating that. And she, she in large part, and well, not large part, in a lot of ways, fulfilled her duties in a way that were to her own detriment or in ways that she didn't get what she wanted. Second point on the royal family. Let's not denigrate, especially Christians here. It's one thing to say, I don't care about these people, they're kings and queens, and we're done with that. I, I want to be careful not to denigrate the concept of the king. The, just because monarchs have used it poorly almost exclusively in humankind. It's a it's another form of government that God made. It's not by its nature immoral. And guys, that's actually the the thing we're all longing for is the kingdom of God. I'm longing for a good king. And his power is absolute. I want that. I want a planet ruled by one man. He has a law of love. I can't wait for him to have a throne. So I saw too much of that denigrating the concept of kings and kingship. Don't denigrate that. Kings and queens are a good gift. They haven't been in history, but ultimately, they will be. When we return, I got my CNN audio from you for you from a guy who thinks he knows the Bible, and he doesn't even know it a little bit. We'll do that when you return for the rest of the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. When someone on CNN starts talking Bible, you're hopeful that maybe they know something well enough not to just speak something like close to heresy. Uh, But if that's your hope, you hoped in vain. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show, wherever you listen to podcasts and right here on his radio talk. It is my hope that we will not spend the final 15 minutes of the show on this one topic, but that's a possibility. And if that's okay, and if that happens, it'll be okay. I'll be back next week with more stuff. If you haven't heard... In the great state of South Carolina, where I am from, the state of uh, the greatest motto in the country. Our state motto is Dum Spiro Sparrow. It's the Latin, while I breathe, I hope. And I hoped for a much better abortion bill out of our House and Senate. It did not happen. 
during their special sessions. sessions. So we're still on the heartbeat bill standard, good standard. But, uh, I'm glad we have it, uh, but could be better. What you're about to hear is one of the senators who killed the better bill. And then you'll hear after that the illustrious Joe Scarborough of MSNBC telling us about our Bibles. I'll respond to all of it as we go. Here, Senator Katrina Sheely. If you want to believe that God is wanting you to push a bill through with no exception that kills mothers and ruins the lives of children, lets mothers bring home babies to bury them, then I think you're miscommunicating with God. Okay, real quick. Uh, so it's not a bill that kills women. That's not what that means. Even that bill, there's always life of the mother provisions because in the ethics, in the biblical ethics, a life-saving act that also results in the death of another person isn't murder at all. It's sad, but there's no moral culpability if you take one act to save a mother, for example. Uh, what's that one called? The entopic, pre- ectopic pregnancy thing. That is not an act of murder, and no pro-life person thinks so. Second, I can't, well, let's let her, let's let her finish up. That If you think these things about pro-life and abortion stuff, then you're miscommunicating with God. Or maybe you're just not communicating with him at all. Mm. Oh, wow. Super clever. Uh, Senator Sheely, I, man, we should sit down for a Bible drill. We should sit down, me and you, let's have a good theological discussion. Let's see which of us might know a little more about the, the Lord and how he has revealed himself to us. When folks dive into their theology, you, you know. It raises my ire. And for that woman to go to the floor of the Senate and say, if you think these things, you might not be communicating with God at all. What I want to say is very unkind things. What I'm going to do instead is hit the button and let Joe Scarborough tell you more about his Bible knowledge. By the way, by the way, uh, a slow clap for her. And, and let me just say, as a Southern Baptist, wow. I you're not a Southern Baptist. Grew up reading the Bible, maybe a backslidden Baptist, but I still know the Bible. Jesus never once talked about abortion. Ne- okay, objection number one, relevance. That's one of the dumb arguments people make. Jesus never said something explicit about this thing that I want to be able to sit and do. And then by proxy and by relation, of course he did. One of the big ones is Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. He said, from the beginning, God made them male and female, and for the purpose that one a man would leave his leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, he affirmed marriage as one man and one woman. He affirmed sexuality as being between one man and one woman. That fornication is a sin. So just like all the all the proxies and and the other word I'm looking for is equations. You need to do here is sex is only enjoyed inside the marriage a marriage between one man and one woman. Uh, Jesus affirms it is for one man and one woman. Therefore, any unmarried people practicing sexuality is committing fornication. We did it. No, he didn't say you shouldn't have gay marriage, but it was pretty easy to get there. Moreover, with abortion. All right, so we have an ethic of life affirmed, speaking up for those who can't speak for themselves. For that matter, Jesus was an expert in the law. We have provisions in the Old Testament law that would hold someone liable if they took a action that caused the premature birth and therefore death of a child. This is absolutely ignorant to the facts, but it's also ignorant argumentation and lazy. Jesus didn't say thou shalt not abort, and so we should abort, we should abort every kid we want to. Never once, and it was happening 
back in ancient times. It was happening during his time. Never once mentioned it. And for people perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ down to one issue, it's heresy. You know what these folks would not say? Because here, here's the analogy. What's analogous in history is this. Abortion is, moder- is the modern-day slavery. So you, I, I would like to get with Joe, Joe Scarborough in a room and ask, were the abolitionists, the Christian abolitionists, William Wilberforce's of the world, and those in the United States about 150 years ago, were they reducing the gospel of Jesus Christ down to one issue by saying slavery must end? I suspect they would say no. It, it was that important. It was that terrible. What non-Christians like Scarborough don't understand is the severity of abortion and how Christians properly see it. We see it as murder. Just the same way that some Christians saw slavery as man-stealing and and totally unjust and needing to stop. When you see it as something else, then you're you're not going to have the same reaction. You're going to have the wrong reaction. That's not a big deal. When you actually recognize they're killing children. What is abortion? They're killing them. They're murdering. They're murdering babies. They're murdering infants. When you get there... You're not going to accuse anybody of, oh, you're uh, reducing the gospel of Jesus Christ to one issue. Like the same way 150 years ago, someone would have said, they're owning humans. They think of them as dogs. They own them and make them work. They barely take care of a lot of them. That's what's happening to other humans made in the image of God. It's wrong. It must stop. Oh, but uh, you're, just reducing the, uh, you're reducing the gospel to one thing. No, I'm not. The gospel's huge. It has implications. The, uh, abortion isn't the only message, but it's that central and fundamental. It's the thing happening right now, and the 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 laser focus on it is not a weakness of American Christianity. The weakness of American Christianity is that we haven't been more focused on it and calling it what it is. I think he has a little bit more of idiotic stuff to say. Go, if you don't believe me, if that makes you angry, why don't you do something you haven't done in a long time? Open the Bible, open the New Testament, read the red letters. You The red letters are not a thing. Those are added by humans. I know what he's saying. It's, quote, only, only read the quotes from Jesus. This is, not a bib- this is not a biblical hermeneutic on how to understand the scriptures. Every word, all scripture, this is what Timothy tells, what Paul tells us in Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. If I got that wrong, I'm sorry. I think I was right. That's not just Jesus' words. It's an idiotic... It's just, I, I hate when this happens, when non-Christians think they know more about the faith than we do, and they try to instruct us. You are a fool, sir, trying to instruct us on how to understand the teachings of Christianity. First, once again... Uh, if I read just the red letters, I'd get there too. Because the red letters would say, oh, you've heard it said in your law that not, not to kill, not to murder a man. Oh, but I say to you, if you have held hatred in your heart, you've already committed that in your, you, you've already committed uh, murder. And when we uh, understand again what abortion is, you've already committed murder. So that's an actual murder. Jesus' standard was even higher. If you have hatred in your heart for somebody, you've already been guilty of murder. You don't even need the rest of the scriptures. But you see, when I was quoting a bunch of scripture there, I was going to other parts. I was going to the law. 
the red letter argument isn't a good one. And I have two other thoughts on this one. One, so much projection that these folks who have no Bible knowledge at all project on those that they despise. You guys don't know the Bible. The Bible really belongs to us. Which again, Katrina Sheely, Joe Scarborough. I'm, I know I'm sounding like a bit of a pompous jerk saying so. Let's have a discussion. Let's have a quiz. Can we do some quiz mastering? Let's see which one of us happens to know a little more about what, what Bible says. And this is one of those knowledge puffs up. That's true. And I, I hope that's not true of me right now. I'm trying to make a point. It's not about pride. It's that people who are ignorant take authority that doesn't belong to them and then try to wield it over people that actually know more than them. This, you know, this, this is Christian splaining. It's fake Christian splaining. Right? We have mansplaining as a concept that men start to explain things to women that they already understand because they just they think they are smarter and they can just explain things to women. So what I have here is false convert false conversion explaining. People who aren't actually Christians explaining to me about my faith, my Christianity that I spent a lot of time on that I've done I put some blood, sweat and tears well, not blood, but sweat and tears into, into learning. And my final point. This also just bothers me for these folks that they hold in their head two so obviously conflicting propositions and they don't feel the cognitive dissonance of their conflicting positions. One is the, the, the hatred of, of Bible. And that we and we have to have a separation of church and state. You can't impose any of your biblical values on the world. It, functionally, the world must be atheistic. Our laws must be atheistic. No Christian values can be imposed on anybody. And then they use the Bible to argue for law. Well, Jesus didn't say anything about it, so let's just do it. Wait, 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 wait. Are you saying that if Jesus did say something about it, we shouldn't do it? You, you you want to impose a biblical value? I thought you guys were against that anyway. And then don't get me started on how when it's convenient, the arguments are, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And loving your neighbor as yourself is doing exactly what I tell you to do with this COVID precaution or this government program. Oh, well, you have been forgiven so much sin, so I should be forgiven of my student loan. All right, so we've got a bunch of Billy Grahams out here. Okay, that's awesome. So just two minutes ago, we were going to talk about abortion, and you were saying, don't you dare bring your Bible in here. All right, so now we're talking about unemployment and welfare, and over here we're talking about student loan forgiveness and how you treat people with COVID stuff, and you all need to get your Bibles out because you need to love your neighbor as yourself. It's so maddening. I'm, I'm, I probably had a bad, a bad attitude about this, but... I no, that's, that's not a but. I've had a bad attitude about this. I know that the content was right. The the tone probably could have been better. But it, those things are super, super frustrating to me. All right, then let's end on a happy note. I have to, what, two? Yeah, two minutes. Here we go. I recently had LASIK eye surgery. I cannot, I cannot exclaim to you more how profound it was and how incredible it was. I was in the chair 
for the, or really like a layback chair thing for the procedure for fewer than 10 minutes. When I woke up, I told you to go home and go sleep. When I woke up, I could see perfectly. 2015 vision. They told me there would be maybe some days of some odd glare. Maybe some some glare, especially around light bulbs or oncoming traffic. And you, know, you could see some spots from time to time as everything got adjusted. And your eyes might be kind of irritated. You're going to experience some some discomfort in the... And the, as they heal, but it's, it, you know, they didn't say it was going to be terrible, but they said, yeah, you're going to have some some complications as everything gets, gets, gets normal again. That's normal. Don't worry about it. None of that was even true. No discomfort, no pain, 10 minutes, and around like three grand or a little less. I went from being debil- in a debilitating way, not being able to see. Without glasses or contacts, I could not see. I could not like read the license plate on the car in front of me sitting at a red light way up close. And by not read, not just like I couldn't read it perfectly, I couldn't get close to what those were. And I can see perfectly. I actually got kind of emotional about it. Like, And I don't really have emotions. That I I couldn't see, and now I, I, I could. And it, it brought together two of my favorite things. Medical advancement and what free market capitalism does. Just about 20 years ago, that procedure was almost 10 grand. Only the wealthy could get it. And now it's it's available to a lot of a lot of common people. The the thing that changed it is its insurance doesn't cover it. No government insurance does and private insurance doesn't really cover it. It was out there in the market having to follow all the rules of any other product. Another story like that is Invisalign braces. If you Google these or YouTube these, you'll find it. Very, very expensive procedures at the beginning, totally uncovered and untouched by governments and insurance. And over time, prices coming down and the process only getting better because that's what the advancement does. So here I now walk around able to see as a testament to how good God is and how good of an idea capitalism is. I'll be back with another new edition of the Core Act Show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.